Hello, welcome, and thanks for listening to Crimes of the Basklands. Quick content warning, this podcast details crimes and descriptions of violence that may be disturbing or triggering. It may not be suitable for all listeners. We'll do our best to warn listeners about what to expect before each episode and to include them in our show notes. So enjoy the show. What's your back? What's your back? And a chance is gonna get you what you back. What's your back? A chance is gonna get you what you back. What's your back? There's a chance is gonna get you what you back. It's a coming from me. Just steady up. Gotta watch those red hands. It's the crimes of the Badlands. It's the crimes of the Badlands. Hi, Dougal. Hey, Jules. How you doing? I'm doing good. How you doing? Good to hear me, too. Yeah, it's been a chill week. Nice. I didn't even ask. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah. But I'm so happy for you chill. that you had a chill week. I have not had a chill week. No? You, you no, started work this I, week? No, I started last, last week. week, but I just realized how much time work takes up. Mm. And, and you know. Overvalued, people. Just give that up. Why bother? Why bother? Yeah. Let's reduce work. Well, because work. we have to pay bills. I mean, just for a little bit more until the AI takes over. <laughs> <laughs> then we do have no creative like people making podcasts. What do you mean that we're going to start making all the podcasts because the AI can deal with all the paperwork? True, true. Open and accounts. And just pay us, yeah. yeah. I'd love to just be yeah. paid, yeah. So as we were saying, it's a crime podcast. Crimes of the Basque Country. No! Oh, Basque Douglas, Lands. come on. Basque Lands. It's the Crimes of the Basque Lands. It is. I, I, I'm bad with names. I would have thought a podcast name would have stuck in my head, but even apparently... Even your own, you'd, you would have thought your own podcast that. was sticking in mind. <laughs> Shocking. Yeah, it is. It's a true crime podcast. Yeah. But, you know, it's not all crime. It's like... Yeah. You know, everything that's kind of weird or Some of it is health and safety. Or, Some of it's yeah. more history. It's tragedy. Whatever. Yeah. We thought we thought of a hashtag we were gonna we we're gonna try to start using, which mm. is a hashtag mom safe, right? Mom safe, yes. If when the, it's if a mom episode, safe episode. Yeah. Because mm. both of our moms don't like uh, gory, bits. gory stuff, yeah. yeah. They don't like to listen to murder and stuff, so if it's an episode that they're like, Oh, okay, this is not murder. Yeah, we should do that. We yeah. should do that. <laughs> So it's, you're... it's in our list. So there are very hashtag safe ones. How how safe is this one? This one's not safe for moms. <laughs> not safe one, for moms. Unfortunately. And it's a two-parter. Is a murder. It's a two-parter. Oh, uh, yes. So I this hear. week we're doing a two-parter, yes. Um, yeah, there's just so much to say about this one. So we can't can't do it all in one. No, so it's going to be fun. Gonna put it into some. two. We're going to have to we're going to have to have you back and listen to the rest. Mhm. Mhm. So, uh, what are we drinking this we, week? We always have drinks with us, and we invite our listeners to join, if they can. Yeah, and if, if you go on our website, and... you can see our... We have a drink link on our website to see what we drank that week. Yeah. And it's not sponsored. It's just for fun. No, it's not. Just Nobody's paying us for not yet, this. Not yeah, We're open for it. We will <laughs> if have... If you want to pay us, yeah. We will just be, we'll promote be your drinks. Yeah. We'll do it. We'll say the truth. <laughs> we'll say what we really think about your drink. No, we won't. Indeed. We would totally fake it. I'm the, I'm I'm having the coins. A, a very commercial Estrella Galicia beer. Yeah, which isn't Basque. It's not Basque. It's from Galicia, mm-hmm. another region of the Spanish states that has different languages and culture and things like that. And it's autonomous. And it's autonomous. Mm-hmm. They're a little cute, cute dialect. What does that mean, autonomous? 
here want to explain the autonomous regions yeah it's like like i think um yeah <laughs> it's kind of a big subject but in general yeah like a federal a state quick one a little summary <laughs> yeah like a normal like the typical country you think about it's like there's like some federal rules and then everybody's got like different states and then you have different levels of what you can and can't do mm-hmm. and then i would say like yeah especially like kingdoms you get like scotland there's like in the uk right and then mm. wales so they're like m- like many countries because it's a united kingdom of different kingdoms, kingdoms yeah so that's kind of what happened with with spain originally as well like the, it was kingdoms yeah, yeah so like navarre was the basque kingdom mm-hmm. and then just areas were brought in at different times so after the dictatorship there was a, a, they they returned powers to these regions mm-hmm. but some are more autonomous than others so the basque country is the most autonomous and yeah. then you kind of go down in scales it's kind of like very case by case basis yeah because well well it depends on what they could put on the table right in terms of what they can give to the federal state right yeah i mean the thing what is they provide in terms of the gpd right gdp gdp, GDP mm-hmm. yeah i mean not only that it's also to do with the languages that we have mm. and also to do with historical situations like the Basque country always had something called the fueros which are kind of like their like mini constitution it's like Mm -hmm. please respect us we don't charge taxes these are the laws of our land right yeah it used to used to to be just very business friendly in the Basque country basically for Mm -hmm. the middle ages and and they always made the kings sign to respect that kind of business friendliness of the Basque country Mm. So because of that, the GDP here was quite high. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's part of that negotiation. It was, hey, look, we've, we've, we've been in this, in, in this agreement with the Spanish crown for centuries, but we've always had our sort of uh, tax autonomy, uh, you know, since, since the beginning. Mm-hmm. So they argue that back. Whereas Galicia never had that autonomy and they All haven't right. gotten it back. So, you know. I don't really know. What about know. Catalonia? Do you know? They don't. They don't get their own taxes like like we do. Like okay. there's only yeah, there's only tax offices in a Basque country. And do they Spain. have their own health system like we do? I think they do. Yeah, I mm. think they do. And that's the thing, you know. Some communities have a, just the generic Spanish system, and then some communities have a whole uh, health, health system, system. Yeah. from themselves. And I think Basque country, Catalonia, for sure have it, but I'm not sure how many others. Hmm. Hmm. Well, thank you for that little explanation. Well, of intro the... <laughs> about my beer. And then your wine. Oh, yes. So my wine is actually Basque, it right? Is. It's from Alava, right? El Coto. El Coto, which is a pretty popular brand. It's quite a big one. Mm-hmm. And it's tasty. It's nice. I'm it's having nice. a Rueda, no? Or Verejo? Oh, it's just, I think it said Blanco. Just white. Just yeah. white wine. Yeah. Does mm. it taste very different from a um, I wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Really? Just okay. by tasting it right okay. now, if this is Verdejo, Rueda, whatever. Because you, you're pretty, um, you go for Verdejo or Rueda, which amongst them, I actually I really enjoy hard. Galician wine. I like the Albariño. They're great. They're great. But, and I would say yes, th- if I'm going to go to a bar and just order a, a you know, generic whatever. I just ask for Rueda or Verdejo, and 
I mean, that's the thing. I thought since you were drinking it so much, I thought you would already be able to tell, oh, it's not a Verdejo. No, no, absolutely not. Mm. <laughs> absolutely not. One day. My palate is not that you know, One day. distinguished. <laughs> In 10 years, you'll taste a blank one. You'll you go like, so? what? I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Let's place our bets. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about that. So, um, should we get into our story? Let's. Let's I'm, do it. I'm excited, yet a little bit worried. About the murder? Of course. <laughs> yeah. Let's see how. See, Douglas is not even somebody that's really into murder. Um, no. He just got roped into this true crime thing because it's what I like. So It's fun, though. Yeah. You know, I get to be squeamish, and then. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> but our moms, no. <laughs> no. They just skip. <laughs> Uh, okay, let's get it started. All right, so my sources for this story were Wikipedia, mm-hmm. CBS News, mm-hmm. Washington Post, Poddles.org, mm-hmm. Texas Monthly, 48 Hours, which is a CBS program. Yeah, it's a TV show. Mm-hmm. Podcast, the podcasts that I listened to um, were Buried Bones and Southern, Southern Fried True Crime. So, warning to our listeners, this episode does include sexual assault, and it does, of course, include murder. (coughs) Okay? (laughs) So, there's our disclaimer. Shocking. (laughs) All right. So, this week, our story takes place in the USA. Yeah, because a lot of Basque people emigrated to the United States and, Mm -hmm. and made that their home and there's many descendants there so we would and, expect and to find and this one I think it's more like Bascos in Mexico that then immigrated into okay Americas I mean the, you know, America USA when I went around Latin America you would have um, Euskalecheas which are there. it basically means a Basque house and they're usually mm-hmm. like let's call it what um, a cultural center mm-hmm. and so they'll have usually a bar mm-hmm. And then yeah. a space for doing some, some you know events. Events, and, yeah. yeah. And so we have that in Boise. Yeah. yeah, like I never saw that in the, the U.S. Center, or yeah. California, or sorry, I was going to say Canada, but you know they have them in Chile and Argentina and Bolivia and mm-hmm. Peru. So it's like all over the place. Yeah, it's a thing. Yes, if you know what to look for. Because the Bascos, they like to stick together. They like to identify each other and get together. And it's a place where you can, you know, at least historically, you could go to speak Basque with other people. Yeah. All right. So our tenuous link to the Basque country, mm-hmm. Uskali, mm-hmm. is our victim's surname. Mm-hmm. So her last name for you, American listeners, her surname is Garza or Garza. G A R Z A. G-A-R-Z-A. As you would say. (laughs) (laughs) And here they'd pronounce it Garza, right? And then there Mm -hmm. they would say Garza. So I'm going to say Garza. Here here it would be Garza with a very sibilant accent. Garza. Garza, okay. And, you know, actually, it's a cute little we're already circling back. It's actually both a Basque and a Galician surname. Yes, I saw that in Mm -hmm. my research. So... You know, the origin of the name, yeah. Going back to our drinks. Yeah, We're there we go. We have the perfect drinks tonight for this. <laughs> it's, it's all falling into place. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, regardless, this name is super common in northern Mexico. Okay. Yeah. So, um, 
you know, this explains why our protagonist of this story is from there. Yeah, well, actually, from Nor- Texas, mm-hmm. actually. No, no, northern Mexico is well known for being an area where Basque people went to because there was mining. Mm. So Basque people have been mining for centuries, mm-hmm. I, I guess, since the Roman times. And, uh, you know, basically they knew what to do when they were colonizing that area. And so they would bring Basque people specifically to take care of mines. And Nuevo León and Monterrey and that area is, is like, historically had a lot of mines. Mm-hmm. So that's probably the historical link there. Yeah. Mm. My one sentence synopsis for this crime. Okay, ready? Yes. You ready for this? I'm ready. Pious beauty queen is murdered in a small Texas town while the culprit escapes capture for decades thanks to a lengthy cover-up. Oh. Irene Garza was born in 1934 to parents Nicholas and Josefina. Her parents owned and ran a dry cleaning business in McAllen, Texas, which is located along the border with Mexico in the region known as the Rio Grande Valley. Mm. McAllen lies on the, at the very southern tip of the valley and is directly north of the Mexican town of Reynosa. Mm, Reynosa, yeah. Mm-hmm. So McAllen and Reynosa are often referred to as sister cities mm. as a lot of commerce and tourism moves between the two via a toll bridge that was built in 1940 by the city of McAllen. At the time of Irene's birth, McAllen was a very small town with less than 10,000 residents. And at the time of her death in 1960, it was still quite small with around 30,000 residents. So small town, Texas, right on the border of Mexico. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like many of McAllen's Hispanic or Latinx or Mm Mexican-American community, the Garzas lived on what you might call the wrong side of the tracks. Mm. At this time, these border towns were quite overtly practiced segregation between oh, the whites yeah. and all other people of color. Yeah, the 30s. Mm. Mm-hmm. The south side of town was predominantly made up of Hispanic, Mexican-American, Latinx families. Mm-hmm. And of course, as is often the case, it was where the more impoverished neighborhoods were located. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Everything from schools to hospitals were segregated, but as the Hispanic population grew and the white population became the minority, mm-hmm. these institutions became less and less divided along racial lines. Okay. Mm-hmm. According to one source, McAllen was one of the more quote unquote tolerant towns <laughs> around the valley. So I don't know what that means. Well, like we, I couldn't find we, any we, examples we... why they were more tolerant. So. But one example, (laughs) I don't know, but one example of discrimination was, um, they said that the one public swimming pool in town barred all Hispanics from use. Oh my gosh. So, so depressing. Right. So these families coped in the fucking hot Texas summers by swimming in the town's irrigation canals. So, at age 15, Irene's parents' business had become so prosperous that they were able to relocate and move to the north side of the tracks into a more affluent and predominantly Anglo neighborhood in downtown McAllen. The Garces became one of the very few other Hispanic families living there, which were made up of doctors, lawyers, and merchants. Okay, so there was a few other Hispanic families living there, but they were in very high-level positions mm-hmm, right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so good on irene had no trouble fitting in as she was described as fair-skinned obviously <laughs> and beautiful right good to hear 
So she's probably able to code switch quite easily. I would assume and is, so. You know, and of course, if you're good looking, you could take, you know, that can take you a long way. Yeah, it gives you an extra pass. Yeah. yeah. People mm-hmm. overlook their prejudices when they want to, like, set their male gaze on you, right? Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about so, it. So, yeah. Irene and her sister, Josie, attended the mostly white McAllen High, where they transcended other racial hurdles. The sisters were the very first Mexican-Americans to become twirlers in the marching band. Okay. And Irene became the first Mexican-American drum majorette in the high school's history. You say majorette? Drum majorette. Uh, That's a bit sexist, no? Just let her be a drum major. (laughs) In any case. No, this is the 60s. 50s, 60s. No, yeah, I mean. So, no. You have to gender things, right? Because, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Education was deeply encouraged in the family. When Irene and Josie's parents, Nicholas and Josephina, were growing up in McAllen, education was only permitted to Hispanics until fifth grade. Oh my god! So that's like 10, 11 years old. That is depressing. Right? That's part of American history I did not know. I mean, it's not surprising. Nope, not surprising what we at all. Know, but oh my gosh. Right? I'm sorry. It's, wow. All right, so yeah, they were very, very education, good pro education. They really excel. wanted their daughters to do well, right? Mm. So they imbued in their daughters ambitions of higher education by reiterating the idea that it wasn't if you go to college, but when you go to college. That's so okay? nice. Irene was the first in their family to attend university, earning a degree in elementary education from Pan American College in. Edinburgh, Texas. And then her sister Josie followed in her footsteps and got the same degree later on. Oh, nice. Well done for the family. While Irene was in college, she was just as popular as she was in high school, Mm. or maybe even more so. Mm. She was crowned both homecoming and prom queen. Wow. Which, you know, I didn't know it was a thing at at university. I thought that was just a high school thing. Yeah. But in all the research, it said... She was prom queen, homecoming queen at the university, so. I mean, you know. I mean, maybe they carried those things maybe on Maybe it was into, the 60s or the Right, maybe 40s. it was something they were like, this is fun. This is fun for everybody to do What year thing. are we talking-ish? 1950s. Okay, okay. Late 1950s. And she was also crowned Miss All South Texas Sweetheart in 1958, Ooh, which is a beauty pageant. Texas. That sounds big. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> Only South Texas. She's kind of in the light, though, yeah. right? Yeah. So I'm just foreshadowing. Yeah. <laughs> Such a shame. She was yeah. doing so well. So she was a beauty queen. She, she was prom great. queen. She's she was homecoming great. queen. She's doing great. She's making it she's, happen. Well, she's basically being, you know, giving accolades for being pretty. Well, you know, she's... I mean, she's, not to, dis, you know, dismiss her in any no, way. I'm just saying that's how she was able to overcome these, like, racial... Sure. Bullshit. But, but she is breaking glass ceilings, right? Yes. Yeah. That's absolutely. What I wanted to just absolutely. Hmm. Okay. Let's take a break. See you in a minute. And we're back. Okay. So after college, Irene returned to McAllen and became a second grade teacher. So that's like seven and eight year olds. Okay. Thanks for translating. Yeah, I figure. It would mean nothing I, I to needed me to, yeah, say what age that was. So second grade. Think of the Germans listening. They have no idea. Right. So hmm. give them an idea. So um, she became a second grade teacher at Thigpen Elementary. Wow. Some names there. Mm-hmm. 
And this, this elementary was on the south side of the tracks. Okay. Right? Mm. So her students were from the most disadvantaged families mm. living in McAllen. Mm. Some of which were so poor that they came to class barefoot. Mm. Probably hungry too. Yeah, for sure. Irene would often spend her paycheck on buying them clothes and school supplies. Oh, she's so sweet. I know. So, you know, yeah, a really nice lady. Douglas is going to open a beer. Click. There we go. <laughs> she also volunteered her time at local retirement facilities. Oh, she's so sweet. I know. She's a very nice woman. Oh my gosh. She was um, keeping them company. She'd even like do the hair and nails for the female oh, residents. So you know, so they could sweet. like look their best when their families came to visit them. That is the sweetest thing ever. I know. Yeah. 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 So, aside from all of Irene's altruistic qualities that made her so beloved around town... Absolutely. Ten points One thing stood out about her overall. It was her devotion to her Catholic faith. So, Catholicism has always been a huge part of the country, particularly in the Rio Grande Valley, Mm -hmm. ever since, like, the Spanish colonization. So, particularly in that area, right? Okay. Because of the Mexican-adjacent... Right. You know, part of the country... That's where Catholicism reigns supreme. The Catholics are, Mexico is, you would say, is like Catholic, right? Yeah. And we just. America is probably more like Christian. More Protestant. Protestant, Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. To bring it back to Basque Country, slightly teeny bit, like um, the Catholic uh, Church was very important here, even during the Civil Wars. So a a lot of times. Yes, the the Catholic reigns supreme, yeah. The Basques were on the side of the Catholics, basically. Mm hmm. So, you know, just to bring it into the Basque land. True, very true. <laughs> and maybe next episode when we do part two, we mm-hmm. can talk a little more about that. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> so she was a member of the Legion of Mary. Have you ever heard of this? No, I guess it's a, a, a group of women who are devoted to Catholicism and who think that um, they should be as pure as Mary. <laughs> Some way. Goodness know what way. I'm sure that's something. Yes, that must be part of it. So this is like a um, Catholic organization of volunteers. Okay. Oh, so like part, like taking care of older people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It that's was uh, founded in 1912 and it was, it's headquartered in, it was founded and headquartered in Dublin. Oh. Yeah. Well, another very Catholic place. Yeah. So they do their weekly apostolic Apostolic. Apostolic, thank you. Their weekly apostolic work by visiting families and the sick mm-hmm. in hospitals or in their homes and just basically like carrying out like do-gooderness How sweet. around the community. She would not only attend Mass every Sunday, but mm-hmm. she would also go to confession every Saturday. So you know what confession is? I do. I okay. heard about it. Right, so you go to the church and you confess your sins and then the priest tells you to say 12 Hail Marys and maybe something else to do to make up for your sins and then all is forgiven, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember having to go to confession when I was a kid. It was just like, now we're all going to confession, so you'd have to go to confession and I'd have to be like thinking like, oh, what what do I, I gotta think of something to say. (laughs) So I'd have to like come up with something to say, like, um... I hit my brother, or I said something bad to my mom, right? Like, you'd have to come up with something. So this woman, going to confession, can you imagine? Like, what would she have to say? 
I mean, I think one of the cruelest parts of, of <clears throat> that kind of religion is it, it's basically impossible to be the person that the religion expects you to be. Mm. And that, you know, and some people don't really care that they're not perfect, but some people want to try and fulfill the whole thing. All right. So in a letter that she wrote to a friend, mm. she said, quote, remember the last time we talked? I told you I was afraid of death. Well, I think I'm cured. You see, I've been going to Mass and Communion daily, and you can't imagine the courage and faith it has given me. This letter was sent to her friend 12 days before her death. Oh, man. Do you know what Communion is? Yes. It's taking the little ostias, the little mm -hmm. white biscuits. Exactly. And some The wine. body of Christ and the blood of Christ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, yeah, it's very random. So, I mean, I, I was raised Catholic, but I honestly never really grasped the significance of, like, what that would mean to take commute. Like, I'm not sure what a real faith-driven person would feel about taking yeah. communion. Because I'd never felt that Yeah. about it. I, it's the first time anybody has posed that question to me. Like, I've been ta like to say to somebody, to your friend, like, I've been taking communion daily. Mm-hmm. And it's filled me with... Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure. Like, I, I, don't I can't really speak on it. But even if it's once, like what is eating the body of the guy you believe in? Or drinking his blood? <laughs> I mean, like let's not get into it. <laughs> it feels pretty sick to me already. No, but like... No, no, yes. The concept know? is quite odd, right? Like, like if... I mean, it sounds like we're bashing Catholicism, but mm. religion in general is kind of crazy and weird. Yeah. But... But yeah, that is odd. <laughs> the confession I get, like you get rid of something, right? That's yes, worrying you and absolutely. you get a solution to that. And that's that what I sense. actually do love about Catholicism is that you can be like, I have done the worst fucking thing yeah. that you can imagine. And if I just go tell my priest, he's yeah. going to be like, say 10 Hail Marys. Maybe a thousand. And an hour father. Yeah, if it's too bad. And you'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. So the weekend of Easter Sunday. Hmm. Irene was busy making Easter baskets for all her younger family members. This is in preparation of their annual Easter egg hunt. How sweet. Did you ever do Easter egg hunts growing up? Yeah, my mom was, she liked painting things and it like was... Like decorating the eggs mm -hmm. and, and then did she hide them for you guys to go find or... She did do that a couple of times. I remember, like I was very young, I, I only remember painting the eggs and then finding a couple. <laughs> okay. So it was must have been really young, but um, it was like I remember like we would, we just it was more like an art project. Yeah. At least in my life. Yeah. And so I remember it was like we'd tie something around some eggs, and then we had like wax that we dropped on the shell, and then we and we boiled it with different. They were all natural things, so it was like with um, with beetroot, and then some other flower that dyed it yellow. Wow. And, and it was pretty fun. That's that, supernatural. It was very nice. I was an American. Yeah. <laughs> so, there were always boiled eggs, but you always had, like, the paints, the specialized paints that you would use to decorate yeah. your eggs, and then you could have... And, of course, they've, as over the years, you know, mm -hmm. there's stencils, and, mm -hmm. you know, all these different yeah. things you could put on the eggs yeah. to decorate them. So, Easter egg decoration was, like, a big thing, too. And then the Easter egg hunt was huge. Yeah, I mean... Because you'd hide the eggs, but you'd also hide, like, chocolates. Yeah, other, I don't... Other I, good, I don't, goodies. I didn't think we had that had to find. part. Yeah, we just found eggs as yeah. far as I remember. 
I loved it. I fucking love these type of things. This is when religion really spoke to me. Like, <laughs> Easter egg. Huh? I was like, let's go find some stuff, and then like, if as long as chocolate's involved, you know, mm-hmm. it's a game. Who can find more? You know, like competition. a competition between my siblings and I. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. I so like... food was like super important for me when mm-hmm. it came to church. That's interesting. Yeah. 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 I mean, I and never... I would say, you know, like I think a lot of religions are like that. Like food is a big draw, right? But especially I mean, getting food like is kids culture, and... right? Food right. Is, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So important. Yeah. Especially if you've emigrated into the U.S. and you're, you know, still holding on to some traditions from your homeland. Food is going to be so much more important. True. Hmm. I mean, that, I wouldn't say that's the case with my family, but I'd say that, yeah, they used food and they used these types of games to get us involved in church. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. So, like, we'd have the Easter egg hunt before church so that mm. we were all pumped up. Mm. And then they'd be like, okay, now we have to go to church. <laughs> right? <laughs> how disappointing. And then you'd hear the story about how Jesus died. Actually, I did enjoy those sermons more than I did, or those masses, than mm-hmm. I did other ones. Because mm. I knew the story, right? Mm. Like, it was a tried and true story. Mm-hmm. He died. Three days later, he rose from the dead. La, la, la. You, mean, yeah. you would, would have been... It would have been like reading a child's book to your kid over and over again. Mm-hmm. So you knew the ending, you knew everything was going to happen. So it was like those kind of masses were like to me like, "Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, I know what happens, right? (laughs) I know what happens at the end. (laughs) All right. So it was um, Saturday, April 16th, 1960. And per usual, our 25-year-old Irene did Mm -hmm. as she always did. And she left home, um, the home that she still shared with her parents and her sister, to go to confession at Sacred Heart Church in McAllen. Okay? So like she was saying before, she always went to confession on Saturdays and then mass on Sundays, right? Right, okay. She borrowed the family car and left the house around 6.30 that night, telling her mother that she wouldn't be long. Mm-hmm. The church was a mere 12 blocks from their house, mm-hmm. and as I said, you know, as I said, this is part of her routine. Routine, yeah. Yep. So Irene always stood out. Wherever she went, her mm-hmm. beauty and poise. She always was wearing like really nice clothes. She was like always dressed really mm-hmm. nicely. Mm-hmm. It always garnered her like a lot of attention. Okay, so she didn't go unnoticed either on this mm-hmm. night. Mm-hmm. You know, so still <clears throat> witnesses are noticing her. Yes, yeah. Some accounts that I read implied that some men would go to mass simply to just get a look at her. Oh wow. Mm-hmm. So she was seen by one witness entering the church and making the sign of the cross. Another saw her kneeling by herself in a pew in prayer. Another recalled that she'd asked a parishioner if she could cut into the long line at the confessional so because she said she was in a hurry. Hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Some noticed that as she went into the confessional that she draped a white lace veil over her face. Mm-hmm. Very, very traditional, huh? Mm-hmm. But one thing that everybody interviewed could not recall was ever seeing her leave the church. Oh, right. Oh, my gosh. So nobody saw her leave. They all saw her come in. They saw her doing all these things, but they never saw her leave. Let's take a break before we get into the really horrible shit. And we're back. We're back. 
Okay, so this is where it's going to get... Serious back part. Yeah, this is where it's going to get bad. When she didn't return home that evening, her parents surmised that perhaps she decided to stay for the midnight mass. Because, you know, it's Easter Sunday, so there would be a, mi- oh, an East, a midnight mass, right? Such a bad <laughs> false flag, though. That is so unlucky. Mm-hmm. They would have been worried way earlier if it was a normal time. Right. That's so sad. Yeah. By 3 a.m., she hadn't come home. There was no sign of her mm. and her parents. Either, this is because I have conflicting... Sure. Information. Information. So either her parents went directly to the McAllen police to report her missing that mm-hmm. night, mm-hmm. or her friends and family went out looking for her. Okay. They probably night, did both. Before then calling the authorities. Right. So... Sure. Either way, they were like, okay. That was the night. They looked for her and they reported that she was missing. missing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This set off one of the biggest search and rescue efforts in McAllen's history to this point. Nice. So on Easter Sunday, April 17th, 70 members of the Dalgo County Sheriff's Department, Mm -hmm. many of which were on horseback, combed the orange groves and the surrounding brush around the city. Mm. Divers were sent out to drag the irrigation canals. Wow. That The ones that fed off the, the Rio Grande yeah. River. Two border control planes were circling in the skies above looking for her. Wow. And 65 members of the National Guards were also called in to assist in the search. That makes so me happy. So that's huge, that makes right? makes me happy, yeah, <clears throat> for the size of the place. Yeah. It's And really this is impressive. like 30,000... People. Yeah, it's not too big. Right. So that's a lot of effort yeah. trying to help out. That's sweet. Detectives discovered that her car was still found to be parked at the church. Mm-hmm. So they canvassed the neighborhood in a 32 block radius mm-hmm. that surrounded the church, the Sacred mm-hmm. Heart Church. They were going to door to door interviewing um, parishioners. They were interviewing people, like, mm-hmm. had they seen anything? And they also went to interview parishioners who had attended mm-hmm. church Saturday night. Mm. The ones that were there when she was there. Mm-hmm. And that's when they got all that information. Very responsible. On April 18th, the first grim signs of Irene's fate started to appear. <clears throat> A passerby named P.W. Miller was driving down an empty stretch of McColl Road when he spotted a small beige high-heeled shoe. It lay two inches from the curb. Mm-hmm. It was a woman's left foot fiancé's. I don't know if that's a brand. Brand pump. Okay. It was a bit scuffed and the heel tap was missing. So the heel tap would be the little rubber tap on the bottom of the heel. Okay. Um, when it was shown to Irene's family, they confirmed that it had matched the pair that she was last seen wearing. Mm-hmm. Further north along the road, police found a crumpled white lace veil oh you know much like the one that the people saw her wearing yeah when she went into confession yeah <clears throat> sounds sounds correct mm-hmm. and this is some street okay leading away from the church mm-hmm. well this is actually kind of farther out mm-hmm. it's nowhere near the church okay okay in a field near the road a citizen involved in the search effort uh, found a black patent leather purse and Irene's driver's license was found inside the purse. Oh, man. This is not looking good. <clears throat> so it appeared as though someone had thrown these items from a moving car. Oh, really? Yeah, the way that they were strewn. Interesting. In okay. like, different 
parts of the road. Okay. Along the road, right? Like so, one here. So it could have a been shoe her here, and then the trying to, lace here, yeah. the veil here, and then the purse there. You yeah. know, the purse was dusted for prints, but none were found. Other leads were coming into the police. Mm. For instance, a woman called the Garza's home, claiming to be Irene, and saying that she'd been kidnapped and was mm. being held in a hotel mm. at the nearby town of Hidalgo. Okay. Police went to the hotel to find that it was just a hoax. Nobody. Right. They're just looking for attention. Some people yeah. having a laugh. Yeah. In Edinburgh, a waitress reported that a customer told her that he had killed Irene and that she would be next. Oh my gosh. Yeah. When the police interviewed this man, he admitted that he had said this, but it was only a joke. Oh. Well, he went on to excuse his behavior by saying he'd had spent the day across the border in Mexico <laughs> and had drunk half a bottle of tequila. <laughs> Half a bottle of tequila, I mean. <laughs> Alright, so <clears throat> on April 21st, the Thursday following Easter Sunday, okay. the police received a call at 7.40am from somebody reporting that they discovered a woman's body floating face down oh. in the 2nd Street Canal. The canal was several miles from where the other items were discovered, mm-hmm. and curious looky-loos all gathered round to no doubt witness the removal of what everybody assumed was the body of Irene Garza. Right. Me too. Police detectives and sheriff deputies, they carefully lifted the body from the water using a tarp. She was fully dressed in her lavender blouse, but it was unbuttoned. Mm. Her skirt and petticoat, while in the water, were ballooned up over her head. Mm. Her shoes and her underwear were missing. Mm. Once definitive identification was made, you know, which was carried out in those days by having some poor family member oh my come gosh, yeah. identify the body. I mean, I think it's still probably mostly that way, right? No, I mean, they use DNA and stuff now. Really? Well, maybe not. Maybe that's yeah. more. Even for like, if, if it's unidentifiable, if it's like being three weeks and it's too yeah. swollen, maybe not, but still. Yeah. I don't. Anyway. So, um, oh, man. the police went to the Garza home to inform her poor parents mm, the following uh, day on somebody Friday. Somebody had to go. That's yeah. horrible. So, at autopsy, the medical examiners noted terrible bruising on her face, oh, particularly man. on the right side of her head or yeah. her face. Mm. She had two black eyes, and it appeared as though she'd been beaten with a hard object. Her cause of death was determined to be suffocation. Also included in her death certificate was that she'd been raped while she was in a coma or unconscious. Oh my gosh. It was suggested that she'd been deceased for fewer than four days based on the level of decomposition. Oh. So this is like six days after she went missing. Right. So they speculated that she'd been held captive for at least a day before being killed. So um, the water in the canal seemed to have you know, washed away any physical evidence like um, blood, semen, hair. Okay. None of that was there, right? So they had nothing, like no physical evidence sure, to, to determine off. who, like, who'd done this to her, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So four blocks south from where the body was found, along the Second Street Canal, which mm-hmm. is where they found her, mm. the police found if tire tracks next to the canal. Mm. And a faint imprint in the mud of her petticoat. Wow. They also found a shoe print 
and embedded in the print was a strand of hair that they determined to be Irene's. Okay, so hair evidence, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Today, it's debunked as like a science, right? Like you can't yeah. say this hair is definitively hers unless there's like a root yeah. mm -hmm. where they can get DNA. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So like, let's say you find like a victim with hair gripped in their hand from fighting somebody. Right. And there's a, that means they pulled it out. Yeah. Right. And there might be roots. a root, right? Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, a strand of hair is usually just broken off okay. of somebody's head. Mm. So you can't really say Right. Whether it's like, so you can say like, it looks very similar sure. to the victim's hair or it looks very similar to an animal hair because mm -hmm. they can use animal hair too, like as evidence to say like this, the, when they have a suspect, mm -hmm. they owned this type of animal with sure. this type of hair, right? Sure. sure. So the more evidence, the better. As yeah. Always. yeah. So they, 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 at the time they were saying like, this looks like her hair, right? Right. right but that right. was embedded in the shoe print, right? Hmm. So, um, and of course there's like 1960s and there's no DNA <laughs> evidence at the time. Like yeah, DNA was, is like It was in the 80s, 80s that that came yeah, in. Yeah. Mid 80s, mm -hmm, mid 80s. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, um, in this case, you can only say that it like resembles the hair. And also the ground was so soaked that it was difficult to identify any details on the sole of the shoe print. Mm. So the best, uh, you know, to the best of their ability, they could only determine that it was a men's shoe size 8 to 11. That's a big big difference there right like this yeah yeah can't you tell if it's a nine or an 11 or yeah. an eight i mean 10 to 11 right still yeah exactly but maybe it was only the heel it could have been only been the the what would you call that part sure the front, the front part. part of the shoe so, you know you never know it could have been just okay uh, that was the yeah. only print that was there right but if it was very muddy you would assume you could see the whole thing somewhere. i'm assuming it wasn't though so they, yeah. that's why yeah. they couldn't yeah. really say yeah. how big or it was, right? Yep, here, us criticizing the... <laughs> I know. God damn it, cops. <laughs> Say how they should have done. Shoulda, woulda, coulda, shoulda done. So, um, it appeared as though her body had been transported by car and then dumped in the canal where, it, you know, where these tire tracks and yeah. footprint were it sounds located, like that. right? Yeah, it's and then had floated down very to logical. where the police, you know, where it was discovered by mm -hmm. the... By Further the down the canal. Right. Mm-hmm. So E.E. E. Vickers, who was the sheriff at the time, he declared that he would solve this crime. And he offered an award of $2,500 for information that led to the capture of this killer. Sounds very reasonable. Do you want to guess how much that is today's money? $2,500. $2,500. Yeah, that was more confusing. I get it first place. Uh, $2,500 in 1960s yeah. money? In today's money. Because I, I looked it up and I got it right here. Let's guess fifty thousand. Mm, Twenty-six thousand. Okay, yeah, that was gonna be my first guess, but I was gonna be more. All right, so there's your range, right? That's pretty good. Pretty good. The mayor of McAllen, he figuratively handed out a blank check to the police, to say use this, you know, use any and all resources oh, right. to to find out who did this. Um, and then there was also a local businessman who put up $10,000 well of reward done. money well done. also to assist in finding and anybody that came forward to give information to find this person. How much do you think 10000 so, so the, the police put up 25000 That's 100000 And that was 25000 That's 100000 Correct. Oh, a little over 100000 Yes. 
That's a lot, though. It's That's a, a huge yeah, reward. Right? Yeah. We would hope that would help huge. the case. So the law enforcement, they interviewed more than 500 people across several Texas towns, you know, in the area, mm-hmm. which included known sex offenders, members of Garza's family. Because, well, you know, you always look at thing. the you always, yeah, you always yeah. look at the people closest to them, ex-boyfriends, mm-hmm. co-workers, mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. There were more than 500 polygraphs done. <laughs> it was the Not time. 500, sorry, 50, 50. Sure, okay. My mistake. Five, I was like, 50, whoa. 50, 50. Yeah, is pretty good still, though. But, but 50. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's a lot, good. though. It's, it's, it is, it is. And, and, I mean, it's kind of a fallible system, and yet they still didn't come up with anything, which is mm-hmm. pretty admirable. Yep, to no avail. Apparently, this is at least superficially working. It's mm-hmm. incredible already. Yeah. In late April, the police drained and dragged the section of the canal where they had found the tire tracks and the shoe print. Okay. And where they believed that her body had been dumped into the canal. Uh-huh. Embedded in the mud below, uh-huh. and only a few feet from where they believed she'd been, she'd gone into the water, Right. they found a light green Eastman Kodak slide viewer with a long black cord. Okay, translate that. So, Kodak, yes. obviously, Eastman Kodak is the brand the brand for the cameras a slide viewer so it would be oh, like a slide a, viewer so it would be right. like some machine you back in the day slides. where you put in a slide and uh-huh. then you could look at it in a more yeah it felt like you it'd were be like i think you would hold it up to your face it's like and you put a slide in that you could look at it like a photograph right yeah and it looked like you had a big tv in front of you with that image. maybe like or, or just like you know you because a slide is a very small image right and then if you yeah. put the slide yeah that's so all it's it a does. small, small image that's captured onto a negative that then you can view in a little machine. You stick the slide into a machine and then you can see basically a snapshot or a photograph. Yeah, technically it's not a negative. That's a photograph. Though. A slide viewer is like a you, negative. Because you have to reveal the negative for it to get proper, proper colors again and fix them and not like yeah, okay. re-expose You're right. it. You're right. That's what I mean. So it's like... a. The negative of the photo. Yeah. So then it's, it's like a, a mini photo, a transparent photo. But yeah. You put in a, like a thing that you that, see the light you behind can it. See the photograph. Exactly. Okay. So that's what it is. It's like a still VR. <laughs> <laughs> so for all of you that know what a still VR is, that's what it is. Okay. So they find this slide viewer. That is some weird piece of evidence, but I'm excited. Yeah. I mean, I'm scared. So also. not only that. Douglas. It's got things in it. Hang on to your chapella. This is where you got to hang on to your chapella. Yeah, it sounds like they also be found in okay. the in the canal, mm-hmm. right where they found this slide viewer, some candlesticks. Oh my gosh! That were similar to those from the Sacred Heart Church. From the church, for sure, for sure. I mean, so for whatever reason, they made no effort to inquire whether or not the injuries that they found oh. on Irene's head or face could have been caused by these candlesticks. Oh, the candlesticks. Oh, right. Like, I right? was, yeah, it's the thing that the holds the candle. The base that holds the candle. Right. Oh, my gosh. That's so much. That's... For whatever reason, they never, like, compared that to her injuries that were found on her face. It smells like a priest to me. And as for the Kodak slide viewer, the police made an appeal to the public by publishing a photo of it in the mm, local newspapers. Mm. Good move. With the hopes, you know, finding the owner. Yeah. And their first break in the case finally came out. Oh. Two days later, they were contacted by 
the newest member of the Sacred Heart Church's <gasps> clergy, a Father John Fight. Fight. F E I T. Fight. Fight. They pronounce it Fight. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. He admitted that the slide viewer was his and that he'd purchased it the previous summer at a drugstore in Port Isabel. Is that Texas? Yeah. Wow. I mean, that guy killed him. Kill her. Well, we'll find out because that's the end of part one. Um, do we have any mini crime time for the end of this episode? I really like Megan's. What was Megan's? Megan's was the sheep, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. We have Megan joining us remotely right now. So Megan is currently in Wales. Mm-hmm. And... She was having a walk. And so there was a sign that said... Can you remind us what it said? It was like, please close the gate. Please close the gate so that the sheep don't get in or something don't like that. Don't enter the cemetery, I think. Yeah, because it, it was an image... Like it, The video was like... Pointing at this big cemetery. Big cemetery, yeah. Yeah, it says, like, please close gate. Hang on. Let me just get it. Like, close gate to stop sheep entering cemetery. <laughs> please close gate so sheep stop entering cemetery. It's cute. And then she zoomed in and there was a shit ton of sheep just walking around the cemetery. Shit ton of sheep should be a poem. I think that's beautiful. They were out there living their best lives. Total mini so crime. If there ever was mini a mini crime, crime time, the sheep were like, fuck you and your gate. Yeah. We're coming in here and we're going to walk around the cemetery. And, and, and Whether you like it or not. Just because <laughs> of the title of our podcast, I will say sheep keeping is a very Basque um, enterprise. True, yes. The so, Basques are very much known for their sheep herding yeah, skills. There's a little connections there, there in for Idaho. Sure. For sure. Yeah. In Idaho, uh, a lot of them went over there to be sheep herders. Sheep herders. Sheep herders. Sheep herders. Is that the pirate version of sheep herders? <laughs> That's how we say it in Idaho. <laughs> no, it's very, very typical here. And like uh, sheep cheese is big here yeah. and it's delicious. Yeah. And um, my uncle lives in California in a little... Well, it's not little. It's it's a suburb of L.A. these days. A Thousand Oaks. Oh, yeah. But that was also totally like Basque, Basque sheep herding area. Yeah. In the olden days. So yeah. there's there's the tenuous connection there to the Basque go. country. Tenuous link. Tenuous link. Sheep running amok. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was lovely. It, yeah. was, it was a great half. Uh, first half of the story. I'm looking forward to the to the second part. Let's 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 catch some bad people. Yeah, let's do it. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Bueno, Douglas. Um, yeah, it's, it's been, been a, pleasure. a pleasure. Yeah, it's been a pleasure to have all our um, yes, dedicated thank you for listeners. Listening. Thank you so much. Share we with a friend, like, do all that stuff, and see we you next time. We bid you agur. Crimes of the Basque Lands is written and produced by Douglas D. Carvalho, Julie Garcia, and Megan Dooley. The sound and editing for each episode by Douglas D. Carvalho, and Megan Dooley. Theme song written by Douglas D. Carvalho, Julie Garcia, and Megan Dooley. Sung by the choir with no name and produced by Tom Squires. Podcast art by Distinct Signal. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Crimes of the Basque Lands and contact us at crimesofthebasquelands at gmail.com with story ideas worldwide which have a connection to the Basque Country, or any rave reviews. 
If you like our podcast, please subscribe, like, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, agur! agur.